0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. I had the opportunity, uh, actually my wife had the opportunity to uh, visit a great uh, vineyard this week. We have friends who uh, who uh, own a um they grow grapes. Uh, they have an outdoor pool, but they, uh, it's an enclosed pool, so it's a kind of a dual thing, and so they grow grapes. And so I have in my hand um, some grapes uh, and some branches from a grape, and you will notice right away, uh, we, we, we p- picked it yesterday, and you'll notice uh, that I actually had to put them in water last night because they started to wilt away. And, and, and the, the context of uh, in the third week of this series is I am growing. And we're going to land on John chapter 15 where Jesus gives us once again this imagery of what it really is at the epicenter of your growth in him. Okay? Are we ready for that? It says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He what? I just want to encourage you this morning. Okay, that he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he what? He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, abide in me, some uh, translations say. And I will abide and remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. As we see in my hand, it begins to wilt. And you you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Let's not get that mixed up. We live in a world where we think we are self-autonomous and we want to be both the branch and and the vine, the source, and the fruit at the same time. But Jesus is reminding us at the epicenter of growth in your life, there is a source and there is fruit. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who who, who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch. And whither such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned up. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be give, granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my what? Love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments... And remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with what my joy. Yes, your joy will be will overflow. You may be seated. Uh, this was a, a deeper statement than it looks like, because in in ancient times, in historically, when uh, God's people, the Israelites, would hear this whole analogy with grape and vine, they would re- be reminded of the Old Testament, and whenever the when the Israelites were referred to as grapes and vines in the Old Testament, it wasn't from a positive perspective. It was God once reminding that they have disconnected and disobeyed themselves. They had disobeyed and they were disconnected from God. So when they heard this, it was a negative thing. But as they hear it in John chapter 15, he was declaring it because the disciples weren't getting it. The context of John 15 is so crucial Um, to what he is saying here during the Last Supper. This is the context. He's at the table with his disciples. And at the table um, are two people who are about to be cut off. Um, We have Judas, of course, and we have Peter, ironically, who the church is built after later on. And they didn't get it. One was cut off permanently and another for a short time because of the same principle, because they... What they were producing in their life was a direct result of what they were connected to. And so Jesus is rescuing this imagery, uh, th- this, this imagery of judgment, this imagery of failure of no matter how hard they worked or how hard they tried, Jesus is stepping into the middle of the same mess that you and I are just as prone to, to feel as they were feeling. You're in this room today, and you are looking at what your life is producing. Jesus is communicating a principle, the principle that lands in our lives today, and it's this what we are ultimately connected to produces who we are, right? I didn't expect you to say amen there. It's reflective, isn't it? What you, what you are producing in your life, what you are, the fruit that you have in your life is a direct result of what you are, what you have attached yourself to in the scope of your life and Jesus is saying I am the true vine. You are not. <laughs> this is this is a fundamental issue, isn't it, with us? Because there are times when we want to be the source and the fruit. We want to govern and we want to be self-autonomous and we want to produce our own fruit. We want to be the source and the fruit and Jesus is saying to you and to the disciples that that's not the case. Jesus is saying here in John 15 the kind of fruitfulness that pleases the Lord, that you are unable to walk in, I will make possible. That's what is happening in this statement. I am the vine. And as we, as we lean into the third part of the series and discover that I'm not just a part of the body of Christ, I play a part a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but uh, last week we discovered that we, we've been forgiven. And the forgiveness is never about measuring up but leaning in. Amen. Today, we're discovering what it means to say, I am growing. And Jesus sets this imagery as he sits with his disciples the day before he's betrayed. And in some ways, the day before he begins to be cut off himself. And he's proclaiming the kind of life that you should produce, is, and it's not found in you, but in, in him. And here's what I, I am the true vine means here in this context <coughs> for you and for me today. As much as we work, as much as we try to be moral and upright and good people, we're going to fall short of that over and over. And that is all of our stories. Since Jesus is the true vine, since Jesus is doing for us what we cannot do, you need to be remember, remember that going into this grape and vine, this whole branch Branch and vine imagery here is Jesus has already done what you could not do. And he is what you couldn't be. And that is your salvation, amen? And so, since Jesus is doing that, staying connected to the vine, in order to say, I am growing, means it will produce pain. Everybody say, pain. Now, I know you want to say, we want this to say blessing. I know you want this to say a lot other positive things, but it is pain in this imagery. And what you need to notice about this text is a little unsettling. Notice the same branches that are pruned experience the same pain as the branches that are cut off. But they have different outcomes, don't they? It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He, what? He cuts off. There's that pain. Every, br- <coughs> excuse me, branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes. There's that imagery. The branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Have you ever seen, if you ever had the experience of watching someone prune branches in terms of grapes? It's ugly, it's a lot of mess, and the pruning back in order to bear more, more fruit. So let me ask, let me make a bold statement: to be a Christian means to bear fruit. And if this is true. How you define that fruit starts to matter. How you grow starts to matter, doesn't it? If bearing fruit is a religious posture, then we are no better than the Pharisees. And so we heard last week as Jesus spoke to the sinners, tax collectors, and religious leaders in Luke 15 through the story of the prodigal son that we receive God's love even though we don't deserve it. So measuring up or religious posturing isn't fruit bearing. So what about what about those who bear fruit? Then those who bear fruit get cut back. They're pruned. They get cut back. Why would the Lord prune what's fruitful? Well, to, to bear more fruit. And so bearing more fruit, what does that mean to be fruitful? Does it mean that we're we're going to have amazing careers and, and no one is going to be sick and everyone will love us? Is that kind of fruit we, we can expect if we remain in, in Christ? No, it's actually more like this kind of fruit in our lives is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and well, we, we don't like that one, do we? <laughs> Self-control. So when Jesus says, I will bear what you cannot, I will be what you cannot be, he is, he is pruning us in, the, in these areas. And the reason that fruit is singular, you'll notice it says fruit, not fruits. The reason why it's singular is because all of the fruit of this, these fruits are interconnected. If you lack patience, you're probably not loving. Right? If, if you lack love, you're probably experiencing, you're not experiencing much joy. If you lack joy, you are probably lacking in kindness. You, you get what I'm saying? That, that, that this is a fruit that grows together over time. And I notice that when I read Galatians 5, no one in the room said, Nailing it, right? Got them all down pat, pastor. You don't, you don't, you don't need to worry about it. I'm good. No one says that. Because we are not, we, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I, I want to be. We're all growing, aren't we? And that's why the Lord is, is, in his kindness, prunes us so that I'm still growing in these areas. See, I, I met with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and this person is a lot younger than me. He's about two years old. <laughs> uh, that was a joke, just seeing you're with me here. You, you guys are with me, that's good. Uh, a little younger than me, and he had a, a, a time in his life where for five or six years, he made some bad decisions. And so he wasn't getting ahead in life. And so he met with me. He said, Bruce, you know, I know your story. You've made some really bad decisions over your life. So thank you very much for that, right? <laughs> and so I just want to avoid making those bad decisions, and I want to get from here to there to A to B. So I want you to tell me how to do this. And so, you know, I, I didn't say, well, you begin your education track here in year one. And you, in year two, you you will seamlessly get good grades. And in year year three, while you are riding the wave of your grades, you are going to meet the girl of your dreams, right? Who who you who you have been dreaming about. And year four, you will graduate, and your prof will high five you across the grad line, and you will propose to your fiance during your grad lunch. <laughs> and off you go to the races, making hundred thousand dollars a year. I didn't say that. It's foolish. No, I said. From here to there will be painful, and there are going to be moments in your life you're going to want to avoid some of the things that God wants to grow you in. They're going to want you to grow in love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. And you're going to find out that this is where what really matters in getting from where you are to where you where, where you want to be. See, we determine our faith by seasons, don't we? I need to have faith in this season, but Jesus is teaching us that faith is more about fruit. How is your self-control? <laughs> how, how, is, how is your joy? How is your love towards other, others? That's, and we see in this, in this picture here that faith and fruit are interconnected. Faith and fruit are interconnected. And somewhere along the way, we begin to believe that to follow the Lord is some kind of spiritual sprinkle where there is no room for doubt or suffering. Somewhere along the way, we think it's a singular moment as opposed to a lifelong journey where we wrestle with doubt and cling to Jesus. This, this idea that faith is this utopia, and it, it's absurd, and nowhere in the Bible does it say it. The Lord prunes, and we grow. The Lord prunes, and you grow. The Lord cuts back the fruit that you have to make you grow more fruit. And Jesus says, I am what you could not be, but I'm going to grow you into who I am. Who am I? Jesus says, I am perfect love. I'm joy. I'm peace. I'm patience. And I'm even self-control. And if you will remain in me, I will grow you in these areas. How? By pruning the fruit you already have to produce more fruit. And Jesus is saying in this visual display, see, some of my greatest Moments has come out of some of the greatest painful moments. Some of my greatest pruning areas of my life was the death of a loved one. Or what's what's been the pruning in your life? Sickness, marriage issues, the loss of trust in a relationship, the loss of a job. Now, not in any of those pruning moments have you ever said, man, I enjoyed that so much. Give me some more, Lord. Come on. No one. If you have, well... I, I have no words for you. <laughs> Let me speak to anyone who is in this season of doubt where you feel like you're being cut off or cut back in a season of conflict or a season of pain. It doesn't mean you're, you are, are being punished or you haven't quite dialed into discipline enough to be a successful Christian. That's not what it means. See, pain does not mean punishment in this context of John 15. Pain means fruit bearing. Not only will we experience a pain in, in, in the pruning, but also staying connected to, to, to God in John 15, to Christ, we have the power of his presence. Are you not thankful that in the middle of the pain of your life that we have access to him? Amen? This is a scandalous Remember, now Jesus is telling this story to his disciples after cutting off Judas, who betrayed him, and Peter, who will for a moment in time be disconnected. He says, you have already been clean and purified by the message I have given you. You're going to be pruned, and if you are a believer and bearing fruit, I'm going to help you bear more fruit by pruning you back. Then he says, you are clean because you have believed my word. You have believed what I have said to you about who I am. Because what Jesus has already done by, by John 15, he's already proclaimed that I am the son of God. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the only one who can save you. And the disciples have believed that. He says, in fact, keep in mind, these disciples are only 24 hours away from, from betraying Christ. Especially Peter. There are only hours away from saying, I don't know him. You see, Jesus, you are clean, him saying, you are clean because you believe in my word. That's why our position in his presence, not because of who we are, but because of what he has done for us. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and wither. There's some strong language there. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. You may ask for anything and you, what you want, and you, it'll be granted. See, one of the supernatural mysteries about being a Christian is about our union with Christ. That I am in Him and He is in me, and that works in how God sees us. And when He sees us, He sees the perfect obedience of Christ, not your failures. But this union in Christ means we are welcome in. It is is hard for us to understand this, isn't it? Because we see our failures. We see us more like this this branch here that's been severed for 24 hours. You know this to be true. We find this difficult. If you have kids, I'll tell you why we find this difficult. When your kids get into that stage where they begin to have a sense of right and wrong, they, they, they are cumbersome when they do something wrong, right? If they have siblings, they blame their sister. I did that for years with my, ki- my twin brother. He did it, right? But even as simple as when you, you, you potty train your, your kids, and they are doing so well for a couple of days, but one day you can't find Johnny, right? And you search throughout the house, and you find him in the closet. Why? He didn't use the potty right? He was knowing right from wrong. Why? This is true for us, even as adults. When we offend, we tend to avoid, don't we? We do that. What is so stunning about what Jesus is saying here is, if you abide in me and I in you, there is a relationship. There is, there is no reason to avoid God. How many people have I met who think that the cleaning up process to come in God is before you come to God? That's not how it works. You come and then God does his cleaning. How do we know this? We see it in Peter, the perfect example. It's right there in this story. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He tells them, you will betray me. And Judas has already done so and about to head him off at, in the garden, right? But Peter says, even if they all fail, I would never fail you. How's your fruit, Peter. And Jesus says, well, actually, you know, you'll, you'll deny me three times. Peter double downs on it, right? Even if I must die, I will never betray you. And Jesus is like, all right, Peter. And Peter even looks committed because when they show up to, to take Jesus, he picks off the ear, right? He swipes off an ear uh, of, of one of the soldiers. And Jesus leans down and picks up the ear and says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. The kind of abiding I'm talking about is not by force. It puts this ear back on. And at this point, all the fruit disconnects from the source. The disciples go back to what they've always done. And Peter runs away in John 18, and Jesus is being tried in this inner court. But Peter sneaks in around a fire, and a servant girl recognizes him and says, Aren't you one of those abiders? She had a newfie accent, if you're wondering you look like fruit, she's saying. Remember, Jesus is in this courtyard and Peter says, I do not know that man. She goes away and comes back around and says, I can hear your accent. You're from outside the overpass, right? In other words, you sound like fruit. Not only do you look like it, but you sound like he gets anger. I don't Know this man. She goes away and comes back around again. Surely I have seen you abiding with him in the garden. I've seen you connected to the source. You look like him. You sound like him. And I've seen you with the source, (laughs) Jesus. And Peter goes off and begins to curse her out and says, I don't know this person. And in the middle of his curse filled expression, the rooster crows, which is what Jesus said would happen. Because Peter thought that abiding in Christ was in proximity to him. And Jesus is saying, You're not getting it, Peter. If I can stay close enough. And at the point in the same courtyard, Peter looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter's heart's broken. He failed at abiding and remaining. And with, 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 uh, with curses on his tongue, Peter denounces Jesus at Jesus' darkest hour when he should have abided. Let's fast forward for a moment. Post-resurrection, John 21. They all go back to all they knew. They are fishing. Peter was a fisherman. And one day, as they are fishing, by all accounts, they had failed at abiding. Someone sees Jesus on the shore, the same Jesus who washed their feet had taught them to abide. Now they are so far from him. They had heard he arose from the grave. And what does Peter do? He didn't hide on the boat. He wasn't ashamed at failing, you know, or at abiding. The Bible says when he saw him, he dove in the water and ran and fell at the feet of Jesus. Wow. And hmm. see, to understand our position in the presence of God that in Christ we don't have to avoid but we run to regardless of what we're guilty of this is stunning that, that Peter didn't hide, but he dove. It's the same picture as the father meeting the prodigal son right last week, who squandered everything and is met with the loving arms of his father. Peter denies Jesus and is met with this, the love of Jesus on this shore. Peter, the one who was most guilty, is the one who ran the fastest. Wow. The abiding isn't about running away from God, it's running to him. Even when we are at our lowest point, the key to fruit bearing is remaining. It's the source that produces the product, right? What, what, when, we, when, we get, when we got the, these branches and grapes from the vineyard, they wouldn't cut the vine, as I said, because you cut the vine, you cut the source. And this is what happens. That's not just a picture of the prodigal you're seeing on the screen. That's Jesus and Peter. That's you and me. Connected to the source. And Peter, who looked Jesus in the eyes and betrayed him, should have been the worst candidate for for abiding, right? Failed. Despite his brazen claims of being better than the rest of the disciples, it's the guiltiest who run to Jesus, not from him. If If Christ is the true vine, we will be pruned into the image of Christ. We have the power of his presence. And lastly, we have the power to love. By this, my Father, as glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, what? Abide in, let's say it together. That is so poor. It's embarrassing. Let's say it together. Abide in my love. Say it again. Abide in All right. If you keep my commandments, you will be, abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, there is a cycle of dependence occurring here that we get mixed up in the Christian faith. When it comes to our position in Jesus when we abide, and we step out of that remaining in him, and when we do as Christians, our world is out of order. We read this text from a linear perspective. We think if we obey his commands and we abide in his love, it says, Abide in my love first. Not if you obey my commands and you will love me, but as you grow in your love for me, you will obey my commands. And when we get this, this backward, we totally enslave ourselves and step outside of orthodox Christian faith. The kind of faith we live is not do and you might be approved. Our faith is abide in my love, therefore you will do, amen? Let me explain this. There, there, was, there was eight kids in my, my family, and my mom was, was, a, was a bit of an, an enabler, okay? <clears throat> I was her little baby boy is what I'm trying to say. She was the type of mother who would do everything for us. If I got out of the shower and dropped my towel on the floor, she would come along and pick up my towel and hang it up or place it in the hamper. It's how I grew up. Don't judge me. She would make us tea and stir it and place it in front of us. We used to tease her later on. I think you would actually put it up to our mouths and, and, and help us drink it if, if, if we let you. Now, this caused a, a problem very early in my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. The first month in our marriage, uh, Rochelle would ask questions like, Hey, Bruce, <laughs> uh, can you come here? <laughs> and I would come into the bathroom and she would say, What's that on the floor? <laughs> now, guys, if you're a newlywed, if you're newly married, that's a trap from the devil, okay? <laughs> she is not asking what that is because she doesn't know. <laughs> it's a towel, Okay? And I would say, well, it's a towel. <laughs> Why is the towel on the floor? What do you mean? She would go, when we are done with, a, we, with our towel, we place it, our towel, we take it, we hang it on a hook. See that hook thing there? That's where the towel goes. And place it, and when we are done using it a couple times, we put it in a thing called a hamper. <laughs> say hamper. Hamper. And, and, and we place it in the hamper after a couple times using the towel, not 10 times, okay? And so, you know, that chair is not a hamper, okay? That, that chair in our bedroom, that is for the 20 pillows I put on the bed, right? Not for your clothes. I'm sorry, I'm being uh, a... <clears throat> that's a little passive aggressive, I know, but I'm just, I'm just getting it off my chest. 21 years later. You will be happy to know that I do pick up my towel. Everybody clap. Come on. That was way too much, okay? Now she's saying, if I only can get him to take that coffee mug that he leaves on the table and put it over there in the dishwasher, that thing that makes noise, that cleans the mugs. So we're still working on that. I left one there this morning, actually, didn't I? So that you could grow in the fruits of the spirit, okay? And that you can... Uh, you see, um, where do I go, right? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I don't do these things for Rochelle to, ju- to jump jumpstart my love for her. I'm saving myself now, okay? <laughs> but I don't. It's because of my love for her that I do the thi- these things, it's my love that drives that activity. I hang up my towel because I love her. <laughs> and what we are happening in these closing verses of John 15 is uh, uh, I am I'm called to work on and I grow my love for Jesus and that ter- in turn will affect my obedience. You get what I'm saying? Not to work on my obedience in order to love. A religious leader asked Jesus this. What is the greatest commandment? You have to understand, this religious leader equated relationship with God by a list of 400 laws and memorizing the Torah. And so he asks, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you love the Lord, your God. That's what you do with all of your heart. And not only with all of your heart, all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. Then he goes on to say, and what? And love your back up. It's not there in the slide, my apologies. And love your what? Your neighbor. That's that's the posture. We're first called to love Jesus and that straightens all my crooked paths. So I'm not trying to live my life, try to avoid doing bad things, but giving my life over to a growing love for Jesus. See, when I grow in my capacity to love the Lord, it empowers and fuels my obedience. And So a question to ask is: as I'm growing is, what stirs your love for Jesus? What if you surround in your life that continues to embrace and grow your love for God? From the moment you wake up in the morning, what do, you, what do you intake beside the coffee that you need that stirs your love for Jesus? What are you insulating in your life from day to day that stirs your love for Jesus? And what robs you of that love? What are the things you're doing, the decisions that you're making, the people that you have around you, or the things that you do, the addictive person, the uh, destructive behavior, whatever that might be, what's robbing you Of your love for Jesus. You see, we we try to drum up a destructive formula as the band returns. That if I do enough good, God will love me more. But but it's not that if I if I love him more and abide in his love, the key is abiding. See, my desire to obey increases. And my obedience to his commands increases. It's the power to love. That's having the power of his presence that fuels and drives our obedience and our transformation to look more and more like Jesus, which all hinges on Jesus being what we could not be and accomplishing what we could not. We get so caught in, in doing. But that's the abiding principle as I'm growing in my relationship with God. Christ has become what you cannot become. Christ did what you could not do. And I remain in him because of that. So let me tell you why all this matters. In verse 11 it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that our joy... Let me, let me say it again. These things I have spoken to you, that my what? Joy may remain in you, and that your may be full, may be complete. And what you need to know is that happiness and joy are fundamentally different. They're not the same thing. And one is worthy of pursuing, and the other is really not as the focal point of your life. Happiness is frail and fragile and can be affected by all all kinds of external circumstances. You wake up happy, right? This morning at at 6 a.m. when I was driving to this church, nobody was on the road except for one person ahead of me Mm. doing 30. I said, Lord, you've got a sense of humor, man respectfully, because I'm always in fast forward. Man. And if we base remaining in, in him about building this happiness in our life, it's frail. You see, see, happiness is built on external circumstances. The joy is built on spiritual principles, and it's this. I belong to Jesus, and I have the power of his presence, and he does for me what we cannot do. Wow. And that doesn't change. That will never change. What Christ, oh man, what Christ has done for you in the room today, that person that's here today who is being pruned and your interpretation of that pruning is that God is far from me. how how can I grow in my faith if God is constantly pruning me and cutting me off and it feels painful and God is saying listen, listen your joy is complete in this Then I am what you could not be that's the savior of your life I, I did that for you and no matter what comes your way that will never change that's joy, isn't it? because guess what? life is going to throw, throw at you all kinds of things. And you're going to be pruned and you're going to question God. And you're going to search for happiness. You're going to find, try to find some emotional thing to be happy and you're not going to drum it up. But when we lean and we stay connected to the vine, right? We're reminded that our strength comes in Him. Not in happiness. Oh my goodness. I need to learn that more to be honest with you. I do. And so Jesus, as he's ending, and as we are ending today, Jesus is always telling the bigger story. And it's this. It is always this. What we are ultimately connected to produces who we are. Stay connected to the And so Jesus tests Peter one more time. Will you stand with me all over this room? He tests Peter one more time in John chapter 21, right? It's... And you have to read it from this context before we move. It's it's Peter has has said to Jesus, I would die with you, Jesus, because he thinks abiding in Christ is about proximity. Jesus said, you're not, you're not ready, Peter. Oh, I would die, I would die for you. I, I would die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, All right. Let's find out. Peter is pushed out of the source, it seems. And he walks a path of denial in Christ while Jesus is watching. But yet we see him, right? Guilty, coming to Christ, jumping out of the boat and finding his way to Jesus. We see that, it's, it's, it's we run to him. It's the guilty that run to him, not away from him. And so Jesus is John chapter 21. And it says... When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Different now, right? Post-resurrection, Peter has seen love at its purest form. This Jesus who came and lived and died rose again. He's saying, do you love me? <laughs> Peter saying, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs." Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. (laughs) And then, then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by this, Right? asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Isn't that interesting language? You know all things. You know that I love you because, see, G- Peter denied Jesus three times and we see Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? And we, 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 we got to notice the response because Peter was a know it first. I would die for you, right? And he he understands what it is to remain in him. He says, Lord, what do I know? Things, even when I don't understand it, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Feed and Jesus, like Jesus, saying, There we go, there we go. greatest forces of love ever. Now you're ready Peter. Go and feed my sheep. And you're in this room today as we end, as Matthew leads us in a closing song. And you are in a pruning stage. We're reminded today that we are we have the power of his presence in the middle of that. Ask you a question: What are you doing to continue to strengthen your relationship with the Lord? It's a it's actually in your small group. If you're in the small group, you'll be asked that question in your small group this week. What ways are you connected to Jesus? It is a deep question. Well, I go to church. Okay. What what how how have you insulated and, and strengthened and growing your relationship with Jesus that you're abiding in Him? What what, what, what ways are you connected? What stirs your love for Jesus? And what robs you of it? What's going on in your life right now that's robbing you of that love? Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.